Okay, we're gonna go ahead and get started. So if people wanna grab a seat, I think we'll probably have a few more people join us as we get as we jump in. But we're gonna uh, start today um, by going through a little bit of a review. Um, just to kind of quickly remind us of what we talked about last week. Um, so starting with the Greco-Roman world and how they viewed sexuality, um, there is uh, this tying sexuality to the social order, and this resulted in an exploitation of um, and abuse of those who were lower in that social order. And so how the church's involvement then uh, affected this, um, the way that the church engaged with uh, the culture, um, resulted in a sexual revolution because they began to take sexuality and uh, remove it from the social order and attach it to their understanding and uh, view of who God is. Um, that sexuality is actually meant to glorify God. And so this allowed people who were victimized by the abuse of those higher up in the social order to actually recognize the value that they had as the image, of, as the image bearer of God and that Jesus in his death, his burial, and resurrection actually took away the shame, the guilt, and the fear that they were weighed down by uh, from, uh, from um, the way that sexuality was viewed. Now, as, um, this, sh as this shift happened, um, as this sexual revolution happened, it laid a foundation for us to continue to build off of and advance um, in our understanding of uh, humanity and our understanding of technology. And um, as that developed throughout history, there was philosophical development, there was technological advancement that happened that um, began to shift away from how uh, sexuality was um, and how humanity was viewed um, as in, in their sexuality. And so there's, uh, there's this attempt then to um, recognize and shift away from this idea of needing to conform to the world around us to now I actually get to begin to shape and form my own um, understanding, my own value, my own identity. And so along with this advancement in technology and along with um, the second revolution, sexual revolution that happened, um, there was this attempt then to transition and try to detach sex from God. And to maintain, um, there is also though with this, this attempt to maintain this uh, understanding of value as a human being while be having the freedom to do what I wanted sexually uh, on my own. And so there is this attempt to detach sex from God and uh, this was trying, the, the, the way that this was justified was through the concept of consent. Now this leads us to where we're at today where the way that we relate to one another has actually shifted. So instead of the world and the community around us um, shaping us and forming us and helping us understand who we are, our identity, our role and meaning and purpose, uh, I actually begin to define that for myself. I determine what is my value, what is my identity, what is my meaning, what is my purpose, and I expect that the world around me is actually going to validate that reality that I make up for myself, okay? And so I form my identity and I live out that identity how I feel like I need to or want to, and you affirm 
that identity in me and the behavior that I'm and how I'm acting that out. And so this shift is actually really important. And I want to pause really quickly just to make sure it's, that we understand well. Um, and if there's any questions after last week, anything that can make sure that we clarify. Um, any, any questions at all? Great, perfect. So um, this shift is important because we want to understand how to think about the world around us. And it helps us to understand how to think about the world around us. As Christians, we actually delineate between our behavior, what we do and how we live, with, from our identity. Our identity uh, is what informs our behavior. Our identity uh, flows out of our behavior, but it doesn't, um, it's not completely tied to our behavior. So I can actually um, challenge behavior without challenging identi identity, right? And so in our world, though, it's, it's actually not possible to separate the two. So if I challenge someone's behavior, then I'm actually challenging who they are. I'm actually challenging their very existence. Um, and so this has played out in our sexuality, especially today, from the porn industry to hookup culture to uh, even in our own personal relationships, it plays out. Um, where we are looking for someone to validate us, we are looking for someone to affirm um, that what we have derived from the world around us, the meaning that we have derived, the identity that we have derived, is actually significant and is actually important. And so as we step into today's lesson, um, it's actually, it's really important that we tread very, very carefully. Um, as we seek to understand truth from God's word, we don't want to simply know what's true. We also want to consider how do we communicate that to the world around us in a way that's not going to make people feel like we don't want them to exist. When it comes to sexuality, we could explore a, a lot of different topics and a lot of different aspects. Um, today, we're going to look at just a couple of uh, specific examples uh, from the LGBTQ plus community, uh, because it seems like this is where a lot of the water gets really, really murky, where it gets very confusing. There's so many opinions, there's so many thoughts, um, and it can be hard to see and understand what is true. And so with that, let's take a look at where we're at now with the LGBTQ movement. I want us to think about and just kind of pause and question and maybe think through what is it that we think about this community? What, what is our view? What is our understanding of this community? Are people just choosing to be this way or is there more to it? Maybe your thoughts are that uh, there's um, that this is a, uh, I'm sorry, hit one too many. Um, maybe your thoughts are uh, related to how this is a very politically charged uh, topic. Your, your thoughts go to politics. Maybe um, there's a little bit of confusion because you don't understand it. Maybe um, there's some sadness because you know someone um, who is hurting or broken or struggling in this. Um, Maybe you feel like or you think that this is really just a choice, that they're choosing to live this way. If they really wanted to, they could stop, they could change. Or maybe there's uh, 
maybe your thoughts are that this is actually just a, a desire for a deep, intimate friendship uh, with someone of the same sex. That it's not really that they're sexually attracted, it's just that they, they're longing for some intimacy. Whatever it is, whatever it might be, um, I think that to really understand the LGBTQ uh, community, LGBTQ community, uh, we have to look at the language that they use to describe themselves, right? How do they describe themselves? Well, um, if we look at even just understanding gay and lesbian attraction, if you were to ask a gay man, a non-Christian gay man, how he viewed himself, he might say something about how his, this is not viewed as a choice or a behavior. He doesn't view it as um, this is something that I opted to, to live out because I could have gone straight or I could have gone gay. Didn't matter, I chose gay. That's not how he would view it. He also would say that he actually views it as, as his sexuality is always, it's always been like that, that it's fixed, that there's no shift, there's no change um, in that, that this is not resulting uh, from something that happened to him, but that it goes actually a little bit deeper than that. It's actually a fundamental core of who he is. Um, it's what I do it's because it's consistent with who I am, right? I actually listed these out on the PowerPoint and I forgot to go through them. So here you go. With trans transgenderism, it's actually very similar. Um, that they would, they would say that this is not a choice. Now there are some people who biologically do not match up because they're um, what this, some of the, the XY chromosomes were mixed and biologically there, there is some confusion there. That's a very small percentage of the population though. It's not a very large percentage. So the, for the majority of people um, uh, who would claim to be transgender, who are transgender, um, they would say that this is, this is not a choice, that this is not a behavior, that this is a part of who I am. Now, trying to understand and define transgenderism was actually really difficult because it seems like there's some confusion even within the community itself. Um, one study that I was reading uh, was surveying transgender people in the workplace, and they said that one of their survey uh, respondents said, I don't know that I'm ready to be anything besides just a little queer. I feel even in the LGBTQ plus community, if you're not fully transitioning, you're not always viewed as really trans. So there's even a little bit of confusion of what does it actually mean to be trans? But to try to help our understanding and provide a little bit of a definition, um, the Human Rights Campaign uh, listed out and defined transgender as this. The word transgender or trans is an umbrella term for people whose gender identity is different from the sex assigned to us at birth. The trans community is incredibly diverse. Some trans people identify as trans men or trans women, while others may describe themselves not as binary, uh, as nine, uh, sorry, as non-binary, genderqueer, gender non-conforming, agender, bigender, and other identities that reflect their personal experience. 
So you can see even just in the language that's used here, how many times does identity or identify or describing themselves show up, right? So identity is at the core of this discussion. And so it's necessary then for us to think about this in terms of identity. Now it's important to note here, first of all, I wanna just kind of throw in a little, uh, little side note, a little footnote if you will that the APA, uh, American uh, Psychiatric Association, and other, there have been other studies in, um, outside of that sh as well, um, that sh actually are starting to show that sexual attraction is not actually fixed. It's actually something that fluctuates and can change throughout the lifespan of a person. And so there's this perception, this understanding that it is a fixed thing culturally but we're actually beginning to see that that's not necessarily true. Now, while that's an important note, it's, it's only something that's a helpful piece for us to have in the back of our minds, because it's not, again, we're not talking about behavior, we're not talking about um, just the attraction, we're actually talking about identity, we're talking about the core of who we are. And so, it's important then, um, to recognize two things as we uh, go through this. We wanna recognize, um, first of all, that we all struggle with identity. This is not just something, this idea of forming our own identity, this idea of not conforming to uh, the world around us, but seeking validation from people around us for who we shape ourselves out to be, this is not limited to just a certain group of people. This is a human problem. This is a human issue. And so this is something that affects all of us. And so um, we, we all have a desire to form our, our own identity, um, whether that's, and, and we all try to justify that. We all try to um, make it seem like it's not that bad or it's, it's um, that we could, you know, we could stop if we need it. So like, um, if, if you're struggling with like pornography or if you're struggling with like sex before marriage or other sins that, that we justify them in our minds by saying that we, we need these, right? We actually, I can't live without this. If I, if I didn't have this, then my quality of life would actually decrease, right? And that's an identity statement. That's a statement saying that in order for me to be who I am, then I have to have this thing, right? And that's, that's the same issue in all of us. We all have something that we, that we justify in that way, right? So that's, that's something that is important for us. We have to be introspective and consider and understand that this is not just something that is exclusive to the LGBTQ community. This is actually a human issue. Now, the second thing that we understand is that Christian and uh, someone who's struggling as a Christian and a homosexual is that struggle will be different than someone who's struggling as a non-Christian and a homosexual, okay? So for the Christian, the struggle is to conform to the identity of Christ that Christ has for them and recognize and be and... Um, and recognize and believe that it's actually a better way than what um, the world is telling them, okay? So 
This is challenging because there's a lot of fear and shame of confessing this to friends. There's a lot of fear of judgment. Um, there's a fear of loss of friendship or assumptions that people may make about the same-sex attraction. And this can actually make it easier to believe that how they feel is who they are and make it easier to believe that living that out would be better. But that's not what Christ says, right? Jesus actually says that you are bought with a price, so honor God with your body. Jesus says that you were washed, you were sanctified, right? And so honor God with your body. Live that out. That's 1 Corinthians 6. Now, for the non-Christian, it's different because there's this sense of feeling despair and not being who I'm supposed to be or being condemned for who I am. And there's this willingness to conform to identity, even if it's painful, even if it hurts. So, um, there's an author of a book, her name is Re Rebecca McLaughlin. She wrote a book that's very helpful and I would highly recommend um, that you read is, is called Secular Creed. And in that book, she quotes a transgender a woman who writes in the New York Times about her experience um, with gender dysphoria and as a, as a transgender woman. And she, she writes this. Uh, this is just a, a short little excerpt. It says, until the day I die, my body will reg regard the vagina as a wound. As a result, it will require regular, painful attention to maintain. This is what I want but there's no guarantee that it will make me happier. In fact, I don't expect it to. She continues to describe her experience in the pain of dysphoria, that is the distress of feeling mismatched between biological sex and the internal sense of gender, this way. Dysphoria feels like being unable to get warm no matter how many layers you put on, it feels like hunger without appetite. It feels like grieving. It feels like having nothing to grieve. And so for, uh, for this transgender woman, the pain of transitioning is actually, it's worth it for her to, uh, to not experience the pain of dysphoria. Because that means that she's at least congruent with her identity. That means that she's at least has found her sense of, of identity. And this is the reality. This is the reality that these are real people. There are real people who are wounded by real sin and hurting in real ways. And sometimes we don't understand that. And it's okay to admit that, to recognize that you don't know what they are experiencing. this should actually then shift the way that we engage with people. Rather than discussing the ethic of sexuality, the morality of it, shift the discussion to understanding how this is a part of their identity. This is where the conversation needs to shift. To shift. One author states that if this, the statement, I am gay, truly means that's who I am, then it would be utterly cruel to condemn me just for being myself. 
And so this is where the, the, the um, conversation needs to shift. It needs to shift to gospel-centered compassion. We need to seek to compassionately understand the identity struggle. Christians have tried to engage in a lot of different ways um, with this, and it's not always been helpful. And honestly, this is why, to, uh, on, on many levels, why um, the LGBTQ uh, community is so focused on safety, why they are often asking, is it safe? Why are they asking, is, are, is, is this hate speech, right? Is because many times the, way, the ways that, the, that Christians have tried to engage this community has felt like we we're just being judgmental and condemning. Um, and in that sense, it's actually easier to understand why people might view the church as an institution as that, and perceive it as oppressive or judgmental or condemning. Because it looks like and is perceived that we're not just condemning behavior like we, we think we are. It's perceived that we're actually condemning people. Now, this is also perpetuated by the way that Christians try to find um, solutions to the problem, okay? And so, um, there are a lot of different ways that we've tried to be helpful, but it's proven unhelpful or misleading. These ways would include things like conversion therapy. Uh, They'd include things like making assumptions instead of asking questions. Um, stating truth as a solution without really truly understanding the person or the issue, failing to recognize how long someone may have wrestled with confessing homosexuality and just dismissing it to a a certain degree, right? Affirming same-sex marriage as fine or, okay, so, sorry, another couple of different solutions. Either A, we affirm same-sex marriage, or B, we uh, find alternative ways for Uh, people with same-sex attraction or homosexuality to uh, be in relationship with one another without the sexual element. And I think that maybe we need to speak the same language rather than trying to just find a solution, uh, seek to uh, understand uh, how the gospel actually alters our identity help to contextualize the truth of God's word um, in the language and the culture that we're living in today. So I think that we need to, first of all, consider, and in having a gospel-centered, compassionate understanding of identity, we need to consider our posture, right, with, with those wrestling with the question of identity. So uh, recognize that compassion is a posture, it's not just a statement. So we wanna understand our identity first before um, we seek to understand them. You think about Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2 uh, says that we once walked um, in, the, in the passions and transgressions of our flesh, right? That, that we used to be children of wrath. Um, and so we have to understand our own identity in Christ. What we used to be, uh, what our identity used to be, was actually um, in sin, but now we are in Christ. And so then uh, recognize that while homosexuality is a sin, I am no less a sinner 
and I need Jesus more than the person next to me, right? I need Jesus more than, um, than anyone else in the world. I, my posture is that I am a sinner in need of grace and that Jesus actually gives that grace to me. And so, again, this is a posture. We don't always say this, but we should always live it. And so, um, the next thing is that we, um, we encourage the truth in love. I think that the, the question that we're trying to understand is not just for the LGBTQ plus community, but also even for ourselves, is as we're looking to understand how Jesus answers the question, if sexuality or homosexuality or transgender is not my primary identity, then who am I? Who am I really? And I think then we also need to see how Jesus answers that question. How does Jesus engage with, um, with people in scripture? So I want to actually take some time to think about that today. So first, let's um, maybe just, let me just ask the question we can think about and kind of throw out some answers here. What are some passages um, that describe or help us understand how Jesus engages or feels about us today? What do we think? Yeah. Uh, what are some passages or um, some verses in Scripture that help us understand or show us how Jesus engages with people and cares about us? John 3.16, for God so loved the world, right? Yeah, absolutely. What else? Yeah, God demonstrates his love for us. Absolutely. Absolutely. What else? Yeah, in John 4, the, the woman who had five husbands and the, the man she was living with now was not her husband, that Jesus knew, right? Yeah, absolutely. How else? What, who else? I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Yeah, that Jesus actually values us enough to die for us. Yeah, yep. Right at creation, he made them in his Yeah, yep. Huge value statement right there, that God values us because he created us in his own image, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, these are all great. I was thinking of John 8 where... Um, the woman caught in sexual uh, adultery was brought to Jesus, and Jesus did not condemn her, right? Or you think about um, other, other passages that are helpful um, for us as we think about uh, the one I referenced earlier, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, where we're washed, we're sanctified, we're justified, that we're not our own. Um, think about how Jesus not only gives us a new identity, but he gives us one that's good for us, right? It's something that's actually best for us. And this can be, this can be hard to believe 
um, when the pain, the heartache, or the feeling of shame and guilt is set in. Um, it's important for us to have friends around us who remind us of the truth of God's word. It's important for us to have people who we can open up to and share. But it's also important to receive those people, those, the people who open up to us with compassion. We can do, uh, we can do that in a few practical ways. So I want to uh, just kind of talk through this here um, just to finish up. Um, here, um, how, how can we come alongside our Christian brothers and sisters struggling with sexuality, homosexuality, and transgenderism? Well, first off, don't freak out when someone comes to you, right? Oftentimes when someone steps into a space and says, hey, I'm, I'm struggling with this, we think, oh, I don't know how to respond to that. Okay, don't freak out. Just pause and first of all, thank them. Thank you that you actually felt like you could share that with me. I appreciate that. Also, be a friend. Don't be an expert. You don't know all of the things that they're struggling with. You don't know how long they've been struggling with. And so try to just listen and um, just be with them, have compassion on them, suffer with them, and encourage them by asking them about their faith and not about mannerisms. Don't look at like, okay, my friend came to me and he says he's struggling with um, same-sex attraction. He's struggling with homosexuality. I'm beginning to see how maybe the way he talks is a little funny um, or a little uh, maybe more feminine. Um, don't focus on that. That's not, that's not important. Focus on rather the faith. How is their faith conforming to uh, or how is their sexuality conforming to their faith? And if it doesn't look like it is, maybe ask them that. Hey, it's, do you feel like sexuality is forming your faith here, or is your faith forming your sexuality? Okay. Um, so those are some helpful, important ways. Now, thinking about how do we converse with non-Christian friends and family struggling with sexuality, uh, homosexuality, and transgenderism. First of all, don't directly compare homosexuality or transgenderism to other sins. Okay. That is, again, going back to the point of feeling like they are, being, they are being called sinful, or they are being called sin, not just sinful beings, but they're, they are actually the sin, right? And that can be really hurtful. Next is to really listen to them, engage with them, get to know them, be a friend, know them as a person, try to understand that identity that they're, shape, that they're shaping and forming, trying to understand themselves. Then pray for them. Be patient and persistent. Don't give up after a few conversations, but also don't get combative, <laughs> okay, in those conversations. And then be intentional and be transparent. It's really important that we seek to live the gospel out um, in front of our friends. God has done a work in you to help you shape and shift and understand your identity in him, and he can do the same in them by showing how he does that work in you. Right, so um, that's some important and helpful tips. Um, I want to just close off by uh, praying today, and then we'll we'll uh, dismiss. Father, I thank you for um, just your love for us. I thank you that your um, Father, I thank you that you cared enough for us to die for us, Lord. That you cared enough for us to 
um, create us in, in your image, um, Lord, that you, um, as, as we've been wallowing in our sin and our, our transgressions and our, and our um, struggles, God, that you saw us in our need, that you had mercy, that you had compassion, and that you love us, Father. I just want to pray that you would help us to have that same compassion for, for those around us, um, Lord, in the ways that we um, all struggle in different ways with sexuality. Um, Father, I want to pray that you would help us to um, see clearly um, the way that you have formed and shaped us. Um, and uh, Father, I just want to pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so um, just quickly, the uh, last couple of weeks we went over where we've been, uh, where we're at now. Um, next week, Alex is going to, two weeks, sorry, next week's the 29th. So next week will be a celebration uh, for Cornerstone and, what, and the work God is doing there. Um, after that, the week after that, so two weeks from now, Alex will be teaching on um, how God views sexuality and then the following week we'll build on that by how God views sex. And so we're gonna um, dig into those and then I'll close um, the class out uh, with a, some practical ways that we can be living out um, that right view and understanding of how God views sex and, so, and sexuality. Thanks for coming, you are dismissed.